Well, we spent the last two weeks talking about the arrival of the Holy Spirit in the world, and today we're going to build on that with a series of messages called Spirit-Inspired Prayers. And here's the thinking behind this series. In a letter to his protege, Timothy, the Apostle Paul tells us that the entire Bible has been inspired by God through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now just think about what that means. It means that the teaching parts of Scripture have been breathed into existence by God. But it also means then the prayers recorded in Scripture have been breathed into existence by God. It all comes from God. And so prayers recorded in the Bible are prayers that God loves. Prayers recorded in the Bible help reveal us, reveal to us the heart of God. And here's what's beautiful. We can take those prayers and adopt them as our own or, or we can follow their themes and patterns and we can use them in various ways to enrich our own experience of prayer. And that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're going to look at these Bible prayers and let the Holy Spirit teach us some new ways to pray. So let's take a minute and pray, and let's ask God to guide us, and then we'll dig in together. Our gracious Father, we are so very thankful for the privilege of prayer. Yet we know at times that, that our, our prayer experience and prayer expression, it can fall into routine ruts. And we know that, that we can find ourselves following the same patterns of prayer all the time and and maybe because of that, our, our prayer life loses some vitality. Maybe, Father, we, we miss out on the richness of praying in new and different ways. As we explore some of the prayers in the Bible, I ask that you would enlarge our understanding of how we can approach you in prayer. And I ask that this might bring a new sense of energy and anticipation to the ways in which we pray. And most importantly, I ask that through our prayers, we might connect more closely with you and that we might sharpen our ability to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. As some of you know, before I entered the ministry, I spent 12 years in the marketplace and I worked for two different large corporations. What you may not know is that in my very first job right out of college, I made some significant spiritual mistakes. Because as a brand new hire for this corporation, I desperately wanted to fit in. I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be successful. And so I did not emphasize my faith. In fact, I largely kept it hidden. Because I wanted to fit in, there were times when, I'm sorry to say, I let myself get into some inappropriate social situations, which did not do my Christian witness any good. I, I'm ashamed to admit it, but in the workplace, I acted as if my faith in Jesus Christ was more of an embarrassment than an asset. And I'm ashamed to admit that I rarely prayed for my coworkers. 
and rarely prayed about how I should interact with them as a follower of Jesus. Needless to say, I didn't have much of an impact. And I know that my experience isn't unique. I'm sure there are times when some of you have acted as I did and you've made that choice to keep your Christian identity under wraps in certain environments, whether it's in the workplace or in your family or in your neighborhood. I'm sure there's been times when you've been hesitant to share the life-changing message of Jesus with others. However, we can be inspired to adopt a very different approach by looking at the actions and the prayers of the early church. Our ancestors in the faith, the very first Christians, were regularly harassed for their belief in Jesus Christ. They often were persecuted and arrested. And yet, when they faced that challenge, they did not respond with embarrassment or with shame. They didn't hunker down and hide their faith. You know what they did? They prayed. And they prayed for boldness. Boldness to not be overwhelmed by threats from people who were living according to the kingdom of the world. Boldness to keep looking for opportunities to tell people about Jesus Christ. And I believe that your faith and my faith will be energized if we follow their example. We can ask God to give us boldness so we can represent Jesus wisely and well in our very broken world. And when you and I pray for boldness in our faith, God will answer that prayer. And He will equip us to share our faith effectively through the guidance of the Holy Spirit who lives within every follower of Jesus. And we know that this is true because of a particular prayer and its answer recorded in the book of Acts chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can open up to that passage. And we're going to start this morning in verse 23, which is actually right before the prayer that we want to look at. And we need to look at what came before because, because it sets the stage for what follows. And here's what we're going to see. This story about a spirit-inspired prayer begins with a situation where two of Jesus' disciples have been threatened by the authorities and have been detained by the authorities. And then they are miraculously released unharmed through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look starting in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, this is Peter and John, and we'll talk about them in a minute. When they were released, they went to their, their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, that verse summarizes a huge story that's recorded for us in Scripture. And what we need to know is that statement about that release, it comes on the heels of the first major public controversy involving the brand new church of Jesus Christ this church that was born on the day of Pentecost. The church hasn't been around very long. Now what comes after verse 23 that we just read is this powerful prayer that we're going to explore, but we won't understand the depth and breadth of the prayer unless we understand what came before. And what came before is the Holy Spirit working to engineer the release of Peter and John from the authorities. 
And here's the back story. As we know, the Jewish religious authorities and the Roman civil authorities had executed Jesus. And they logically assumed that the death of Jesus would silence his supporters. But it didn't. After the crucifixion, the Christians didn't give up. They continue to live by faith because of two things. One, they've seen the resurrected Jesus, and two, because they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who comes to live within them as their helper and their advocate and their comforter. This Spirit who equips them with the power to share the message of Jesus, this message of forgiveness and hope and renewal. And so these believers continue to meet for fellowship and for prayer. They read and discuss the Bible together, and they still go to the temple for worship, but now they go as followers of Jesus, the Messiah. And so one day, as Peter and John go to the temple, as they pass through this gate, there's a beggar sitting there who's, who's desperately in need of healing, and he's begging for alms. And instead of giving him cash, Peter heals him miraculously in the name of Jesus. And that miracle healing draws a crowd. And so Peter preaches about Jesus. And in the aftermath of that, some 5,000 people believe in Jesus. 5,000. Wow. Now news of this gets to the Jewish religious authorities. And they don't like this. And their reaction must be, now wait a second, Jesus, that's the guy we killed. We thought we were rid of that meddlesome guy. And now people are preaching in his name and they're healing in his name and people are calling him the Messiah. (laughs) They can't stand it and they want to shut it down. So Peter and John are hauled before the religious authorities. And we need to realize as that happens, it's only been a few months since the crucifixion of Jesus. And that memory of that horrific event would be very fresh in the minds of the disciples. And it would be logical for Peter and John to fear the worst. I have no doubts that as they're hauled before the council, this thought's running through their minds. Will we be the next to die? Well, no. This outcome is going to be different because God has a different plan for them. And here's what's fascinating. Before his crucifixion, Jesus had specifically told his followers, you're going to face moments like this. You're going to face moments when you're called before kings and councils, and in that moment, don't worry about what you, what you need to say because the Holy Spirit's going to step in and give you the right words. And that's exactly what happens. That promise from Jesus comes true. Because when Peter stands before the, the, the authorities, the Holy Spirit gives him boldness to speak. And the Holy Spirit gives him the exact right words to say. And this council listens to Peter and they are astonished at his words. And they can't deny the fact that a miracle's taken place. A lame man has been healed. And people are praising God. And as always, people who are politicians, which unfortunately the Jewish religious authorities were, they often cave in the face of public opinion. So they don't really want to let 
Peter and John go, but they have to because <laughs> they don't want a backlash. And so these two followers of Jesus are miraculously released and it is a release that is driven by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through Peter. And we need to realize that's what the Holy Spirit can do when followers of Jesus trust Him in difficult moments. That's the backstory. That brings us up to verse 23. Peter and John are, are miraculously released. And what do they do? They immediately go tell their friends. They tell other believers. And, and for just a moment, let's think about what must be happening in that group of believers. Let's assume that we're one of those people in that early church. And we, we are aware that Peter and John have been arrested. They've been hauled before the authorities. And here we are kind of waiting for news. And we're expecting the news to be bad. We're expecting to hear words of their arrest, their detention, and maybe even their execution. And suddenly, these two guys come walking in the door. (laughs) Can you imagine if you were there what kind of adrenaline rush that would be? And we'd be so excited to hear their story, and I think we'd be jumping up and down going, my goodness, you're alive! Thank you, Lord! This is incredible! I don't know how you react in moments like that. I always get goosebumps. (laughs) I think it would be a goosebump moment because they knew that they had seen a miracle. And here's where it gets really interesting. How do these believers respond to this unbelievable news, this unbelievable moment? They don't throw a party. They don't go out and celebrate in the streets. They pray. They pray to the God who is responsible for the release of their friends. They pray to the God who equipped Peter to boldly speak to the council. And I find myself wondering, okay, if I was there, I'd witness this miracle. I hope I'd want to pray and say thanks to God. But how would I pray? How would you pray? What words would you offer to God? And I have to say, here's my natural inclination as to how I would pray if I was there. I'd say, God, thank you so much for letting our friends go. We're grateful that you spared their lives. Now please protect us so this never, ever happens again. But guess what? That's not how our spiritual ancestors pray. As we're about to see in verses 24 to 30, They offer a spirit-inspired prayer in which they don't pray for protection. They pray for boldness. Let's take a look. And when they heard it, that's the news from Peter and John, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, and that's a reference to Jesus. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, meaning everybody in authority was against Jesus, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. One of the things that we often see in Bible prayers is that men and women of faith quote Scripture when they pray. And they understand, as we do, that we have the freedom to pray spontaneously, and yet at the same time there's a richness that comes from praying words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit and written down in the Bible. And that example should encourage us to memorize Scripture so it will be in our heads where the Holy Spirit can bring it to our minds during our own times of prayer. And so as this prayer begins in verses 25 and 26, our spiritual ancestors quote part of King David's prayer from Psalm 2. In other words, their own spirit-inspired prayer is shaped by David's spirit-inspired prayer. David's prayer is one which affirms God's power, His power over people and nations and rulers. And the idea is this, if anyone plots against God, they plot in vain. Now, I heard some amens, and I'm glad. But do we live as if we really believe that? Do we live as if we truly trust that all human authority is subject to God? Do we truly live that if human leaders go against God, they ultimately will fail because God cannot be stopped? When you and I live as if that's really true, it can't help but fill us with spiritual boldness and to not ever shrink back in fear towards those who stand against God. And so these early Christians, they, they offer this prayer that starts out based on Psalm 2, and then in verses 27 and 28, then they take that principle they've just brought from Scripture into their prayer, and then they apply it to Jesus. And here's the point they want to make as they're praying to God. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, the Jewish and Roman authorities thought they'd won. They had no idea they were fulfilling God's plan. Because God cannot be stopped. Now this powerful proclamation, this declaration of God's prayer it's very encouraging for us to read. I hope we're inspired by it. But in the very next part of their prayer, I have to say I'm not just encouraged, but I'm challenged. I'm made a bit uncomfortable. Because in verse 29, as they pray, they ask God to take note of the threats that they face, but they don't pray for those threats to stop. Now, why not? Well, it's not because they're masochists. They're, they're not asking for trouble. They just know that resistance to the message of Jesus is a given. They know that talking about Jesus always will get some people stirred up. And in their case, talking about Jesus is going to stir up everybody. 
the Jewish religious leaders, they're invested in the status quo. They don't want to hear about Jesus. The Roman civil authorities don't want Christians proclaiming Jesus as a king. These believers know that their very existence as a community of faith is problematic for everyone. And in that environment, it would be so easy to live as a community on the defensive. It would be so tempting and even so natural to pray as a community on the defensive, and yet they do not. They pray as if they believe the God of heaven and earth has given them power through the Holy Spirit, which He has. So they pray for boldness. Now I love the way this prayer is written here in our Bible passage. And yet I think we can take Bible prayers like these and make them our own. So I want to share with you the Bruce White enlarged, expanded, paraphrased, personalized view of this prayer. Our great God, you see these threats coming against your church. But in response, we don't want to quiver in fear. Jesus asked us to love our enemies, and so we pray for boldness toward those enemies. The boldness to lovingly tell them the truth about Jesus. And Lord, we've seen how the Holy Spirit gave Peter the words to say when he stood before the council, so we know and trust that you can give us the words to say whenever we are faced with threats. And as a result, we are confident, Lord. And we are trusting in the Holy Spirit to help us live as bold witnesses for Jesus. Amen. Now, now I believe those words capture the essence of this Bible-based, Spirit-inspired prayer. And I think you and I need to pray like this more and more and more. Because as our culture continues to change, Christianity is increasingly ridiculed and marginalized in the public square. And we don't like it, but it's not probably going to stop anytime soon. And it's not going to change because of anything that happens politically. Politics doesn't rescue a culture. God rescues a culture. And our culture will change as more and more and more people become followers of Jesus and citizens of the kingdom of God and learn to order their lives based on kingdom values, not the values of the culture. And so, I believe that just like the early church, you and I need to consistently pray for boldness. The boldness to live by faith. And the boldness to tell people about Jesus. Yet here's a very important distinction. We need to be bold for Jesus, but not obnoxious for Jesus. Being bold doesn't mean we get in people's face. Doesn't mean we beat them over the head with the Bible. It means we try to love people. It means we try to listen to people. 
means we listen to the Holy Spirit and we share what He wants us to share. A few years ago, there was a a church in Southern California that bought some vacant property where they were going to build a new church building. That particular parcel was prime real estate. And when the city council of their town learned about this sale, they were very unhappy because churches are tax-exempt and don't pay property taxes, and the city council wanted this prime real estate to go to a developer so that the city would get more tax revenue. And so, working behind the scenes, the city council quietly changed the zoning laws so that that parcel couldn't be used for worship. Then they cut a private deal with the developer to put in some commercial property. Oh, they were being manipulative. But then the church did own some land. Well, what they did is they engineered a land swap. So the church still had property, but it was in a much less desirable part of town. And they put all this together through a series of backroom deals, but the decision had to be approved at a public city council meeting. And in that meeting, excuse me, they rammed through their decision despite huge amounts of objections from the citizens who were there who did not like all this political chicanery. Now the pastor of the church was present and immediately after this vote that went against his church, he did two things. And first he quietly prayed and he said, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you give me some boldness? And then second, he asked the city council if he could make a final comment. Well, they weren't excited about that, but they knew that public opinion was against them, so they reluctantly agreed and gave him permission. And he later told me, Bruce, I had no idea what I was going to say. I just started talking and trusted that the Holy Spirit would help me say exactly what needed to be said. Now these council members logically expected that he would engage in a withering attack. But that didn't happen. Because as the pastor stood up, the Holy Spirit brought to mind Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, which says, A soft answer turns away wrath. So even though he wanted to call the council out for their sleazy behavior, he didn't confront them or accuse them or criticize them. Instead, he thanked them. He thanked them for their public service. He thanked them for the time they invested on behalf of the community. He thanked them for their willingness to make hard decisions, even when those hard decisions sometimes had to go against public opinion. He spoke affirmingly for about five minutes and then he sat down. And you know what he was doing? You know what the Holy Spirit was helping him do? He was applying a biblical principle because he was showering his enemies with kindness. And Proverbs chapter 25 says that, that that's like heaping burning coals on their head. You see, sometimes people are more convicted of their wrongdoing by kindness than by confrontation. And that's clearly what the Holy Spirit wanted in this situation. 
And no one in that room expected what they just heard. So when the pastor sat down, that room was so quiet. And the council members sat there, quiet. And then they started looking sheepishly at each other. And then they got out of their seats and they walked over to the side and they have a private, had a private little quick huddle. And then they came back to their podium and they rescinded their vote. They took back their vote. They also pledged to work with the church toward a more equitable solution. 30 days later when the dust settled, the church did not get the property they bought. They got a better parcel in a more prominent location. But here's the best and most important part of this story. Within just a couple of years, two of those city council members were baptized in the name of Jesus. Because the ultimate goal of the Holy Spirit is to draw people to Jesus and increase the citizenship of the kingdom of God. And that's what the Holy Spirit caused to happen on that night in that city council chamber. He laid the seeds for two people to change their eternal destiny. But what that story tells us is there, there are many different ways to be bold. And sometimes like that pastor, we need to boldly affirm and thank. And, thank. <laughs> and sometimes we just need to heap kindness on people. And yes, there are times when we need to boldly confront and call people out. There's also times to say a little and times to say a lot. And how do we discern the difference? How do we discern the right approach? We learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. And we let Him help us realize what needs to be said and done in any given moment. Are we listening to the Spirit? In those moments we need, we need to speak, are we trusting Him or are we trust, trusting ourselves? When we trust the Spirit, He will lead us rightly. Here's something else I'd like you to think about in relationship to boldness. We live in a highly politicized age. And we live in a country where we get to be involved in political decisions, and we should be. Many Christians find it really easy to be bold about their politics. And sometimes that can be very good. I wish we could be just as bold about Jesus, maybe even more bold for Jesus. I wish we could be more bold about building meaningful friendships with people who are far from God, bold about praying for those people who are spiritually adrift, bold in asking God to, to give us opportunities to help these people see that Jesus is the only one who can set them free. Jesus is the one who frees us from sin, who frees us from guilt, who frees us from anger, who frees us from pride, who frees us from destructive behavior. Jesus frees us to fulfill our highest potential as children of God. Oh, can we be bold with that message?
Here in Acts chapter 4, God has given us these spirit-inspired words to teach us how to pray with boldness, and I hope you and I can embrace the power of this particular spirit-inspired prayer. And let's pray it in our homes. Let's pray it when we're driving to and from work. Let's pray it in our growth groups. Let's pray it often because it's a prayer that can transform us and can equip us to transform our world. And we see that in what comes next because look what happens to our spiritual ancestors after they offer this prayer. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's the punchline. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So when they finished praying, God shows up in a dramatic way and shakes this room. And the early Christians, oh, they know their Bible, so they understand the significance of that. When, when Moses meets God on Mount Sinai, the whole mountain trembles, it shakes. When Isaiah has his vision of God in heaven, the throne room of God shakes. And this shaking is a tangible sign that God is present and that God is listening to their prayers. And God does answer this prayer for boldness. So as they leave that room, and as they go back to the business of their daily lives, they're equipped by the Holy Spirit to be effective witnesses for Jesus. And you know, when we encounter somebody in Scripture, particularly the disciples, the members of the early church, it's easy to spiritualize them, to see them as more than they are. But, but who really are these people who offer this Spirit-inspired prayer? We're not given a lot of names here. We know about Peter and John, but we know many of the names of the people who form the core of the early church. And so I'm sure in that group praying were the remaining 11 original disciples, along with Messias, Matthias, who replaced Judas the betrayer. And we know from the testimony of Scripture that none of these men are spiritual superstars. They're just a bunch of regular guys. And whenever this group gathered, there usually were female disciples present as well. Women like Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Salome and some of the others who encountered the resurrected Jesus at the tomb on, on Easter Sunday. In other words, this spirit-inspired prayer for boldness is offered by a pretty ordinary group of men and women. And yes, they lived in a different time, in a different place, in a different culture, but they're really people just a lot like us. They're people who just love Jesus and want to follow Him faithfully. And what's so powerful about these ordinary, regular people is this. These men and women have little social status. They have no political power. They have no economic power. And both the government and religious establishments stand against them. But they have God on their side. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. And so as they go about their daily lives, they do not shrink back. They don't live on the defensive. And what they do here is they show us, their spiritual descendants, how to pray for boldness. 
and to trust that we can be bold witnesses for Jesus. So I find myself wondering, what would it look like in your life if you more consistently prayed for boldness? How might the Holy Spirit work through you to help draw people toward Jesus? Well, here's how this played out in my life. I started this message by telling you about my spiritual experience at my first company that I worked for where I had zero spiritual impact. And when I moved on to company number two, things were very different. They were different because I resolved that they would be different. When I joined that company, I prayed, God, give me spiritual boldness. And I spent time praying by name for coworkers who were spiritually adrift and who needed Jesus in their lives. And so I took a lot of time to build trusting friendships and respectful relationships with coworkers. And we'd have lunch together and we'd meet for coffee in the morning and we'd go out for social gatherings after work and in those times I would be praying quietly, God, is there an opportunity here to say something about Jesus and if so, help me to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit might prompt me to do. When we pray and live with a sense of expectation about our prayers, we are so much more attuned to hear the Holy Spirit. And I don't want you to think that those opportunities came up every day and every interaction and every conversation. They didn't. But those opportunities did come up. And when there would be a chance to plant a spiritual seed, I would strive to do that faithfully and try to listen to the Holy Spirit and speak only what He prompted me to say and to say that and then shut up. And I'm happy to say that over a several year period, I planted a lot of spiritual seeds that move people closer to Jesus Christ. One of the most heartwarming things that ever happened, a young lady who worked on my staff, I had a chance to share with her several times. She left the company, moved on. Five or six years later, out of the blue, I get a letter from her. Dear Bruce, the conversations we had started me on the road that led me to Jesus. Hallelujah. It was a colleague of mine. We became very good friends. I shared with him many, many times. And I had the privilege of taking him over to our church and personally baptizing him in the name of Jesus. So what was the difference between my spiritual experience at company one and company two? The difference was prayer. Specifically, praying for boldness. And that prayer changed me. And it changed the way I interacted with the spiritually lost world around me. Today I continue to pray for boldness with the spiritually adrift people I encounter. And I want to encourage you to pray for boldness as well. When we pray that way, God will answer and He will give each of us ever more opportunities to share our faith. 
And as I spent time this week looking over this Bible passage and praying again and again this particular Spirit-inspired prayer, it prompted me to ask God for a different kind of thing. And here's what I'm praying. I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to send a fresh wind through each of us. I'm praying that we can have the same kind of spiritual impact in our world that the first century Christians did. I'm praying that we can learn to yield to the Holy Spirit and follow His lead so that each and every one of us can be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ and help to increase the citizenship of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is, it is such a great privilege to represent Jesus in this world. And I want to pray for me and for all of us that you would forgive us for those times when we get timid and those times when we hold back. May we, like the Apostle Paul, be able to say, I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that we would join with our spiritual ancestors and consistently ask you for boldness. May we be bold to trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. May we be bold in the face of ridicule. Please give us boldness to speak about Jesus wisely and well in appropriate ways with the people you bring into our lives. And we ask, Father, that you might tangibly demonstrate your answer to this prayer. And that we each can have the privilege of seeing people encounter Jesus through us. And we pray this now in his name and for the sake of his kingdom. Amen.